What do you picture when you think of invisibility? Maybe it's Harry and his invisibility cloak or Violet from The Incredibles. For season five of Modcast, we'll be stepping beyond the world of fiction and into the world of fact. I'm Malvika. And I'm Sam. Join us as we go full incognito to look into invisibility in all its shapes and forms. Welcome to Planet Earth, a world that is full of invisible people, processes, places and things. But before we look further, we must ask, what does invisibility look like in this world? Hello listeners and welcome to the first episode of Season 5 of Modcast. On today's episode, we'll be looking to understand camouflage. Before we get started, I would like to ask my other host, Malvika, what she thinks camouflage is. So, Malvika, what do you think camouflage is? And what are some of the things that come to mind when you think of camouflage? Well, for me, immediately it's a chameleon. Um, Then G.I. Joe in khaki clothes. Anything khaki related immediately comes to mind. Yeah, camouflage, so that's for me. How did I do? Well, great. It's always interesting to hear how other people perceive things and understand them in our world. According to the National Geographic Encyclopedia's definition, camouflage is actually a defense mechanism or tactic that organisms use to disguise their appearance, usually to blend in with their surroundings. But wait a minute, people use camouflage things and those things aren't organisms? Exactly, and that is exactly what we're going to be talking about right now. I thought that the best person to do the talking would be Camille Zuber. Camille is a research and materials engineer at the Future Industries Institute. Working in the research and development field, he works with automotive companies, mining organisations and the Defence Force to explore how camouflage can be applied in real-life situations. Camille has not only worked on projects to develop optics for satellites, but he has also worked with a Malaysian automotive industry to develop heat reflective coatings for buses. And without further ado, here is Camille talking a bit about the history of human camouflage use. The camouflage as we know it now has pretty much come into being before World War One. Earlier on, uh, the armies uh, used to have quite colourful uniforms that uh, were the source of pride of uh, the wearers and uh, they were quite quite distinct and colorful and uh, quite uh, with the development of uh, new weapons it became clear that uh, there is a need to hide the uh, soldiers uh, from the adversaries to improve the survivability on the battlefield so in the World War One, we saw all these grey and green tone uh, uniforms, but they were still quite uh, uniform in terms of uh, the color distribution. And uh, the actual development started towards the World War Two, where we started seeing all these patches and colors uh, more matching the uh, surroundings. And uh, since then, uh, there's been a fair bit of research on how to hide objects people, personnel uh, from the adversaries. What we know currently is that uh, it's not just about the color. Uh, there is something called 5S rule. That's a something what is easy to memorize on how to camouflage yourself. Did he say 5S rule? He did. And shortly we'll get back to Camille to talk about exactly what the 5S rule is and how it's relevant to camouflage. First of all, I wanted to ask you what you thought about Camille's quick overview of the history of camouflage. Well, it's really interesting to see that worldwide wars are the main reason for camouflage's introduction into human use. 
I assume that it's something that has been used in the past for hiding and hunting, but for it to be mainly used in wars is interesting, yet kind of worrying. It's sort of something we don't really acknowledge much. While war is terrible for all people, from some wars can come surprising innovations in all sorts of fields, from medicine to camouflage. Anyway, back to the matter at hand, the 5S rule. Take it away, Camille. So it's not just about the color. So 5S stands for uh, shade, shine, shape, shadow, spacing, silhouette. Sometimes uh, it's also added sound and speed. What it means in practice that it's not just the shade, so the color of the object. It's also spacing. So how often we have these patches on the uh, object. So when you look at uh, modern combat vehicles, they are very patchy and the distribution of these patches is quite intentional and it's too much like the average distribution of shades of the foliage. When we have a, a single colored object, it would stand out from the background because uh, it's quite uniform. So we add these patches that uh, simulate shading to add this effect. Right. So there's a lot more to camouflage than it simply being for something or someone to hide. Indeed there is, and it can be even more interesting in animals than it is in humans. How so? Well, we have to understand that camouflage is something that is not only used by people in an attempt to be invisible to adversaries or to aid automotive industries, but it is also something commonly used among animals and organisms as mentioned in the National Geographic's definition. While there are some animals that have evolved over time to have colours or shapes on their skin to make them invisible, there are some that are constantly changing their colour to become their environments, making it easier for them to hide and hunt. Cephalopods are quite commonly known for having the ability to change their colour to match their environment or background. Now, I was lucky enough to have a chat with Bronwyn Galandis, who is a marine biologist at the University of Adelaide. Let's check out some of the stuff you two talked about. So... How do cephalopods specifically use camouflage? So they've got um, what are referred to as chromatophores and they're able to expand and contract those. They're under, um, under nerve control, so they can control the size of them. That helps change the colour. But they've also got these papillae on their skin so they can alter um, their body structures like in three dimensions, if that makes sense. So um, instead of just being a plain flat surface, they can make the, um, the papillae stick up that help to camouflage them. So there's both a, a, an optical, so a light kind of component, if you like, and also a physical component. Wow, it's so cool to see how differently camouflage works in animals compared to how we utilise it for inanimate objects. You're right. One of the major differences that we can see between camouflaged objects and camouflaged organisms is that predominantly, organisms have a type of camouflage called active, whereas objects have a type called passive. So what's the difference? I mean, when I think of those two things, I assume active would be something that's moving or changing, and passive would be static, right? Well, you're pretty much spot on there. Let's get Camille to give us his professional definitions of the two. So a... Passive camouflage, it's something that you would paint on a vehicle and it stays on this vehicle. And there is a whole body of research how to make this uh, pattern and colors uh, uh, in the way so that it can match a range of different environments and creates a good uh, hiding effect. 
basically once we paint it it stays there there are sometimes when the uh, vehicles and personnel are deployed to a very different area so you may modify it a little bit but typically it's a rather difficult process and uh, yeah, it's a whole fine art on how to do it but basically the static camouflage stays there while the active camouflage uh, that's uh, what uh, we've been working with uh, DST for quite a while, is uh, creating a, a type of camouflage that can adapt its colors and patterns to the surrounding. So what, what we've been working on, it's more like a panel system that you put on a vehicle and uh, it can uh, create a range of uh, color tones uh, to match the uh, colors and patterns with the surrounding. So uh, it's more versatile than the static camouflage. Hmm, interesting. It's kind of like how I thought. It's cool to hear it in a little more detail though. So I suppose that means that some animals like cephalopods use active camouflage while others, perhaps tigers or zebras, use passive camouflage? Exactly. Now, I have Bronwyn here to talk a little bit about some more aquatic animals that have camouflage themselves. Yeah, so it's a bit like, yeah, that invisible cloak kind of thing that you get, yeah. So um, cephalopods are obviously really good at that, but it's mainly done through um, camouflage. And the other group that's quite good at doing, um, at, at being invisible, is if you're going across the surface of a sandy sort of bottom, you often see um, there can be flounder and flatfish and those sorts of things. And they really um, blend in with their background as well. Um, so it's it's about some of it's about breaking up the surface of the organism, if that so the edges um, and and also um, like you often see around the mimicry type is um, splitting up colors. So they might be striped and, and by doing that, part of it might blend in with the environment. And then there's this bit that doesn't, but it breaks the overall organism up. So those are the main, the main types that I'm familiar with. As Bronwyn said, it's a sort of invisible cloak. So we can see how pop culture references are used throughout a range of fields to not only make the information easier to understand, but give people, like our audience, something to relate their information to. That's so true. I think I heard Camille mention something like that too. He absolutely did. Check out the chat we had about the future of camouflage. So it's always a cat and mouse game with uh, camouflage and the sensors. So on one hand, the researchers, the defense researchers try to find the best uh, improved uh, sensors to find objects. On the other hand, they also try to develop methods uh, to hide objects uh, and people from these sensors. So how good is it going to be? Well, I... I a quick answer is, I don't know, uh, the things are moving uh, fast and uh, we do need uh, better ways to camouflage uh, the military equipment for the very reason that uh, many of the adversaries became smarter and they use more sophisticated methods to detect uh, the, the other side. So uh, that's why we do need uh, a better camouflage in the future. But uh, how good is that going to be? Well, uh, there's a uh, good reference point in terms of Star Trek uh, series. So uh, if there is a, uh, I think Klingons have a really good camo where they can make the whole object disappear like a cloaking device. I'm not sure if it's uh, possible technically, but uh, well, many of the uh, technologies we have now have been predict predicted through sci-fi years ago. So 
that's what, what uh, we can look into. There it is, Star Trek. And he's right, sci-fi has been extremely influential on global research and development. Of course, and as Camille said, the world of camouflage is constantly changing, if you'll excuse the pun. But if we look at how far we've come and what is expected in the future, we're still barely able to scratch the surface of what the animal kingdom is capable of. Camille has talked to us a lot about how humans have developed camouflage for a range of purposes throughout history and what researchers aim to achieve in the future. And Bronwyn has talked to us about cephalopods and other aquatic animals that are capable of camouflaging themselves, either actively or passively. But after everything each has had to say, humans and animals have massive differences in how they camouflage themselves and the actual reasons that they camouflage themselves. While humans predominantly use camouflage to hide themselves in their environment, animals also do this, but they use it to hunt, making camouflage both a defensive and aggressive mechanism. So we have to sort of ask ourselves, what is it that we can learn from animals to excel in the camouflage fields as humans? Let's ask Camille his thoughts. It's much about the types of colors and the types of patterns we can use. So Basically, the nature has had millions of years of evolution to get it right. And uh, in many examples with, uh, with many animals, uh, they, they got it way better than uh, we can currently do. So there are cuttlefish that can, that can change their color, there are chameleons. Uh, and there are also uh, animals that have uh, what we would call a fixed camouflage that perfectly matches the environment because they are within this environment. So there are some moths, there are also some uh, predator, uh, predator animals like uh, cheetahs, lions, and uh, they got all these stripy patterns and uh, colors that match the environment. It's quite an interesting one are actually lorikeets because uh, you would think being uh, having a bird that colorful to make it stand out but uh, if you ever looked up and try finding them on the gum tree it's very very difficult so types of colors uh, these animals uh, there's an interesting uh, class that's called structure colors so for example butterfly wings uh, they don't uh, get the colors because of pigments they get them because of uh, some physical uh, optical effects that we call in destructive uh, constructive interference and thin film effects. So this creates these rainbow-like patterns due to the structure of uh, the single fibers or arrangement of the hairs on the wings. And uh, this makes uh, it so beautiful and interesting. So yes, we still have uh, much to learn from the animals. Uh, and uh, that's definitely something we, uh, we are looking into. It truly is incredible to see how far we still have to go to be as good at camouflaging as other animals that walk this earth with us. Sam and I would both like to thank Camille and Bronwyn for their contribution to today's episode of the Modcast on Camouflage. If you would like to see or hear more amazing examples of this invisible world that we live in, come and visit the Mod's newest exhibition now or listen to the next episode of the Modcast right now. This is one of four episodes in Modcast Season 5 Invisibility. This episode was produced by Sam Lowe and was senior produced by Caitlin Ellen Moore from Radio Adelaide. Thanks to Camille Zuba and Bronwyn Galendez for their insights in this episode. 
And thanks also to Lisa Bailey, Lisa Burns, and Ellie Kafora for additional series support and resources. Modcast Series 5 Invisibility is presented by Mod at the University of South Australia and is linked to an exhibition which you can find at mod.org.au or in person. Oh, and before you go, I would just like to leave you with an interesting fact. Cephalopods are meant to be colourblind and yet are some of the best animals at camouflaging in the natural world. And what makes it even more interesting is that scientists don't even know how they can match their environment if they're colourblind. How weird.